I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guests, producer, director, and writer Don Hahn, and producer Lori Corn Gable to the show. Welcome, you two. Thank you. It's so good to have both of you on the show, Don. You've been on the show, I think, twice before now, and I love having you on so you can come back anytime. And Lori, this is your first time. Writing. Yes. <laughs> And Lori, this is your first time, so welcome, welcome, and thank you guys so much for making this film, which we're going to talk about today. Um, Howard, Howard, about Howard Ashman, this is specifically going to be featured on Disney+, Plus, which I'm very excited because a lot of our listeners, they have Disney+, Plus, and a lot of people don't really know who Howard is, so I'm so glad you guys put this together. I'm actually kind of shocked it hasn't been done sooner, but it, it it's, it's wonderful. It really is. So bravo to both of you for making it happen for First of all, thank you. <laughs> yes, thanks. I, I have to say, like a little lead in, one of my absolute favorite documentaries is Waking Sleeping Beauty, which both of you worked on too. <laughs> yeah. And I feel, and I feel like it's, I feel like it's a reason to mention. And you could stop me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like the beginnings of Howard stemmed from that first documentary because you have a beautiful segment in, in it about Howard. And because he he plays a, a vital key to the success of the golden renaissance of Disney animation during the time of the 80s and 90s. So am I wrong there? Or is that where it kind of stemmed it began that little seed? Well, I, I think it probably did begin there. Um, certainly, there was a time when I thought uh, Waking Saving Beauty might have been a Howard Ashman documentary, because that was an important story to tell. But it ended up being something... Um, equally as interesting, more of kind of a palace intrigue story about the, um, you know, relationships between executives and the tensions and victories and triumphs over, uh, you know, try over that, that time. And I, I think it's always funny because, you know, when you're living through a time like that, which Laurie and I kind of both did, you feel like, um, y- you don't, you don't walk around saying, Hey, this is a golden Renaissance, isn't it? You know, you have no, you have no idea and thankfully so, because you're just working hard to get your movies done. And um, you know, to look back now, 30 years later, on, on that time, and specifically on Howard, is really a treat. Lori, how was it like to to be a part of that? Basically, it's it's his history. You guys were a part of something that was very important. And another reason I love that documentary too is because the, you, you while you're backstage behind the scenes, behind the curtains, there was so much going on. So, Lori, what was it like for you to be living during that time, especially as a woman involved in the studios? Well, I came to feature animation in the late '90s, so sadly Howard had already passed. And I, you know, was there for all of the stories about Howard and everything that Howard taught everyone. And, you know, the, oh, if only Howard were here or what would Howard do kind of situation. So I, you know, was fortunate enough to be on the back end receiving end and getting to hear about it. So when I was able to um, get the call from Don about Waking Sleeping Beauty and then about Howard, it was fantastic because now I feel like I really almost was there, even though I wasn't yet, um, because I was able to make this film and get to know his family and friends even more. And now I feel like Howard, the man, kind of lives on in for eternity, not only from the work that he did, from but from all the people's lives he touched. I, I didn't even know that. So you never met him, but you no. met him through 
the documentary footage and the audio sound. Like, it's so interesting you say that, Lori, because I started transferring home videotapes because I never met my grandfather. And I met him through this footage, you know what I mean? So meeting another, isn't it weird? Like, how? what what was that like? What was so fascinating about hearing some of those stories for you? Well, because those are movies like I'm sure all of us can, can relate to. I loved those movies and those movies touched my soul. And as you said, as a woman, especially, you know, you have Belle and Ariel who are so independent and are thinking women. And to then kind of be inspired by that to go into animation and to work for Disney and then to find out when you're there of what the catalyst was of this man, Howard, and then to work on the film and get to really dig into his life. Um, it's, it's a gift. I don't know how else to describe it. It literally is a gift to be able to connect with someone, even though he's no longer here, um, who inspired you without you really even knowing it. But his work was just so masterful that it touched your soul. He was kind of like a ripple effect, it sounds like, because you secondhand, you got to learn about him and know the work that led to you being in a new project, a new film. So exactly. it, that's that's so fascinating to me. When a lot of the beginning materials that you you show during the film, I, I one that I really gravitated towards was when you featured a couple of his poems. I wanted to know when you were when you were reading through these specifically. Were there any specific poems that really just came right to your heart, and you were like, "That is ex- that is exactly how I felt at a certain." T- certain point in my life well i think part of it was just seeing how early howard was writing you know that he's a he's a kid basically in school like the rest of us and he's um like he says in the movie he was musicalizing his laundry list he was you know he was finding ways to uh express himself and and using poems and writing greeting cards to his family and all that kind of stuff so for me, and I don't know, Lori and I both spent a couple of days at the Library of Congress going through boxes and boxes of, of Howard's memorabilia. Um, and you would just, you know, go through these um, treasures. And every once in a while, we, we, had, we were sitting at different tables because they, you know, they're very protective and rightly so of all their archival stuff. And every once in a while, you'd kind of raise your hand and go, I just found a treasure, you know, and and you'd go through and find whether it was a, a document or a piece of paper or a photograph or a audio tape in some sense, in some cases. Um, so there wasn't anything in, in specific at that point. And then as we started putting the movie together, you try to pick out things that are thematic and kind of help to tell your story. But there's boxes and boxes of Howard stuff from when he was a kid. And it's so fun to go through. I honestly, I think what Don just said, everything we read felt like a treasure to us. And most likely, you know, we were making a film about Howard. So obviously we were highly um, charged to be A, in the Library of Congress, which was fantastic, um, but to have everything in front of us in his handwriting. And um, and the things that made it in the film definitely were, you know, the treasures of all treasures because it showed really, to Don's point, what a young age he was writing things. And, you know, all of us kids that grew up in a creative environment where we were writing things and, you know, pretending we were winning Oscars and all of those crazy things we did as kids, it it, it resonates with you because you can relate with that. And it was completely relatable to see his childhood work, just as I'm sure if 
any of our mothers had any of our stuff and went through it, they'd feel the same way. I, I, I love the fact that you guys mentioned you were in the Library of Congress. So was this like National Treasure, Nicolas Cage type of stuff we were dealing with? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it, it was probably uh, slightly less exciting than that. But it, it had its own excitement, you know, you're, uh, to have access to all that. His his sister and, uh, and his partner, Bill, wisely put his archives in the Library of Congress that has a huge um, kind of musical archive. And so the if, if you want to study someone <clears throat> from Broadway, there's several places. There's the New York Public Library has an archive. Um, several universities have archives. And then the Library of Congress has this really wonderful place. And um, so that, that became kind of our, our go-to place. And they were incredibly helpful. And uh, Laurie in particular would find these people who were not just archivists, but they were Howard Ashman fans. And so um, they became kind of friends over the last two or three years of doing this project. And if they found something, they would call us and they would tell us what, you know, what was there or whatever. And that became really uh, important to us. How many hours of research do you think you did for this film? Was it was it over a course of a couple months or a year? Uh, we were doing research all the way up till uh, what Monday of this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no joke. Um, it, it's it's a long process, and um, it's it's one thing that I love to do, and and uh, Lori does too. I think oh, she I can speak it. for herself, but I feel like that that idea of digging into um, the papers and ephemera and photographs of someone is fascinating. I think that's, you know, as a filmmaker, films are kind of voyeuristic anyway. You know, we always feel like you were a fly on the wall. We're seeing something we shouldn't see. Um, and so when you're digging into something like this, it's a mystery and uh, you're trying to solve a mystery or unwrap this person's life a little bit. Um, so, so that kind of research, we, we really did uh, go, there's a, there's a fear as you finish the end of a movie that you're missing something. So literally all the way up through, and I'm not joking, you know, earlier this week, you're you're kind of identifying things and, and you know, making sure that um, everything is set and, and um, you have the best possible uh, reference that you can. Why do you think it took so long for somebody to tell Howard's story? Was this something that had maybe had been attempted before? I, I just, my, I got to watch the film with my mother and we were talking about this because first of all, he was so young when he passed at 39, but then also the work he did was, was something that's been meshed into pop culture history, basically. And it was so unusual for both of us to think that nobody had really covered this before about Howard. Why do you think that might have been? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's a, um, there was a USC student long ago, maybe, gosh, Laurie, what was Jonathan Poland's um, 10 years, 15 years ago? Yeah, um, who, at least 10. Yeah, who, who was gathering information for a documentary, and he was just out of school. And didn't have the resources, but got some really good material together, really useful material uh, that we used. Um, but I think part of it is Howard's uh, career is bifurcated. You know, there's a, there's a Broadway part of it that's very small industry, very collegial, small industry that's totally out of connection with the animation industry, which is a really small, collegial, wonderful industry in Los Angeles. And there were very few people that could um, join those two parts together uh, effectively. And, you know, and, and it's, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not sure why it took that long. Other than that, it just is pulling all the pieces together is daunting. I was just curious. It was, and, and things that I found out through the documentary, I was so shocked. So he 
lived in New York, but he created his own black box theater. And like, that's a dream for any person who loves theater. It would be a dream for me. And to do it in New York, even though <laughs> might not be down Times Square, but during a time where New York is popping and there's so much going on. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. So with the Black Box Theater, what was what was it like to kind of research that? And then did you get a chance to go there, to, to be there? Well, Laura, you should talk about Kyle a little bit because there was a, a gentleman named Kyle Rennick who was Howard's producer for years in that theater that was a real conduit for us. Yeah, Kyle was fantastic. Um, sadly, we lost him late last year, but... Kyle came, we, I first cold called Kyle based on what Sarah and Bill had, you know, recommended people that we reach out to and Kyle to say he was, uh, you know, a little uncomfortable or nervous about, you know, who are these people from Hollywood and what are they doing and why do they want to talk to me? Um, and Don and I were in New York and, you know, Don has an amazing ability during this interview process where he's just talking to a friend and there just happens to be a microphone in between them. And it became two old friends talking about a dear friend that they both, you know, loved and adored um, regarding Howard. And by the end of it, Kyle was saying, I've got this, I've got these photos. And, you know, here's the address for the WPA. You should go check it out right now. And, and um, Kyle became literally my, my second check of anything in terms of fact basing, um, you know, timelines and who's in these photos and is this accurate that this happened here and not here. And I will forever miss and be grateful for Kyle. And so sure enough, Don and I walked down the street to where the WPA was. And I am sad to say that that part of, um, the street is now, um, Victoria's secrets and, uh, and, you know, Kate Spades of the world and the theater no longer exists, obviously. But, you know, you can still see when you look up that, you know, we have a photo in the film of the windows and everything. And there's one from inside looking out. And when you look up, the facade is still there. So, you know, with your mind's eye, you can picture what it was like when they were there putting on Little Shop, you know, all those years ago. I wish I could have seen Little Shop. And it segues into my next question because I was so thrilled. I literally screamed for joy because there's a segment where you put the footage of Ellen Green from the Hey Mr. Producer concert, like HD version. And I was like, Mom, I saw this back when like, when I was five. This is my introduction <laughs> to Little Shop. So, and I was like, oh my God, it's HD and it's Ellen Green. Like the definitive version of that song is the best song, the best version that she's ever done. I was like, this is so cool. You are finding things, especially with behind the scenes footage. You know, I the, my mom was like thrilled to see Angela Lansbury and, and Jerry Orbach. She was like, oh my gosh. She's like, I didn't know that they recorded together. And it was so cool to see all of this history happening and the excitement. Like you can, you, you, it basically, you get a high from that excitement. You can feel exactly how you must have felt during that time. Because Don, you were like Beauty and the Beast. That was just something so electric that happening at the time. So it was, it was really cool to see you gather all that material. And especially like the audio interviews. It was really great to hear Howard. I remember as a kid, like I would see behind the scenes footage of Little Mermaid, but you never really heard too much from Howard. And this is great because you hear him sing and you hear him talk about his life. So where did you get the, the audio materials um, for specifically just like the audio only interviews? Well, it, it was that same treasure hunt. You know, some of it 
um, we knew about. Um, I, you know, there was a great 60 minute segment on Smile, the uh, collaboration that Howard had with Marvin Hamlish. So we knew about that. We had to get the rights to it, which was an issue, but um, we did finally get quite a bit of, of, of it in the movie. Uh, some of it came to us through um, just strange, like public access radio in New York did a long biographical interview with Howard when Little Shop came out. And that was a source of him talking about his personal life, which we had very little of. Um, and then Laurie was talking to Indiana University one day and they said, yeah, you know, I think when Howard was here 30 years ago, we taped this long interview with him. I think if you call the theater department, you might find it. And so those are the days you, you like dream of when you're doing a film like this is trying to find those um, you know, treasures. And, and it, it really is that kind of a, um, a process of discovery. The, um, I had a friend who was a, um, you know, a, a journalist and a documentary kind of editor. It does a lot of bonus material type things. And uh, she called one day and said, you know, I think my, I, I have a friend that was at the Little Mermaid press junket. Because Lori had been calling down to Florida saying, you know, the press junket for Little Mermaid was in Orlando and there must have been 50 people there. So somebody has to have a recording of Howard because he was the press junket. And nobody had anything. And um, there was no footage. There was no anything. And finally, about two weeks before we went to the Tribeca Festival, um, this guy calls up and says, oh, yeah, I got a tape. Would you like it? And he sent it to me. And it's it's like 20 minutes of Howard and Alan talking about Little Mermaid and what they did. And it's a, just like, you know, you you can't believe it when you fall into things like that. So a lot of luck, a lot of hard work, a lot of midnight uh, scouring of the Internet and a lot of phone calls finally get you there. What's been fun is putting together the story of the movie with all these found objects. So you'll have Howard flies to Florida. Then you cut to a piece of film that, you know, Laurie found from someone that works at Walt Disney World of the Parade of Little Mermaid. And then you cut to an interview that's new that we did with Jody Benson. And then you cut to a still photograph of Howard on the uh, Mr. Toad ride that Bill took when they were there. And, you know, so it's it's like this this kind of um uh, you know jigsaw puzzle you're trying to put together and and all these found pieces end up being strung together to tell the story and i just love that process it's it's there's something about it that's familiar to me because of animation um and the way that's approached uh but i also like taking all these different sources and saying okay we're going to take the buffet of choices on howard's life and we're going to take one dish, one spoonful of each, and that's going to line up together and to be able to tell the story. And um, so that's, you know, that's what's so fascinating is you have that collection process where you're just getting buckets and buckets and buckets. I don't know, Laurie, how much footage we have or how many hours of footage we have, but that I becomes the basic um, armature, you know, for the movie. Yeah. It's like a beautiful mosaic where every little piece is its own gem. And then you pull back and look at it and realize it's Howard and, um, and how lucky we were to be a part of it. Cause as you said, I mean, some of those days, you know, one of us would walk in and say, you're not going to believe what we got today. And it was, <laughs> it could keep you going for a month at that joy and exuberation because you've been looking for something for so long. And then all of a sudden you just fell into it and it just, it's it just keeps you going. It's exhilarating. We have a very small group of people when we work on these movies. Well, you know, all in all, we may have had uh, 20 or 25 people who touch the movie in different aspects. But the basic core group is three or four people. And uh, our, our third close partner is Stephen Yao, our editor. And Stephen is um, hard to describe. He's he's uh, has a great sense of timing and a tremendous amount of patience going through miles of material 
um, that I don't have the patience for. And then we look at the scenes together. The three of us sit there together and, um, and it's painful. Uh, you know, so the first time you look at a scene, it may not be working and, and then you'll want to add some material or take something away or just say, boy, this is horrible. Let's just put it on a shelf for a while, uh, and work on another scene. And, um, so that, that process is iterative is the only way I can describe it. And it's very much like any film or any art for that matter, you know, in a rehearsal for a dance or in a painting or whatever, you're repeating a process again and again until you get it right. So the three of us would sit there and go over short sections of the movie for months on end. And then once we got an assembly of it, we called together kind of friends and family, people that were trusted colleagues, people that would tell you the truth, which in your life is a valuable commodity. (laughs) So um, and we brought them in one night and showed them the movie and it was long and not, not particularly good, but, uh, had, you know, had some moments in it and then you get notes from them and then you go back to the drawing board again. So it's that iterative repetitive process that really worked for us. Yeah, definitely. And as the, you know, the little gems would come in that were unexpected, it would literally sometimes turn us on the, our ear and we'd have to go in a direction we weren't expecting because we didn't even know this existed before. So it, patience in, in documentary filmmaking is definitely the key because you don't have a script to follow. You get, your script is based on what, what, you know, media footage, photographs, interviews you get, and then you build it from there and, um, keeping track of all of that. Um, Steven did a great job. It was fun to watch. And, and I will, you know, for our listeners, I, I really highly, highly encourage you to watch this on Disney plus um, you know, there are some sensitive subjects, obviously, um, because we lost we lost Howard um, to to AIDS. And so um, I think that a lot of people it might open up the doors to for more discussion, because I know that my mom and we, we, we talked a little bit about it, too, because she had no idea about that. Um, and, and it's so interesting because these films do start a discussion, right? So what what do you feel like, what would you like the discussion to come from this documentary for other people who get the chance to watch it? Uh, what a great question. It's, um, you know, something in approaching a story like this, you're aware of that it covers uh, some, um, you know, stories about an epidemic and, and people dying. You know, it's, it's uh, the AIDS epidemic took out so many creative people in Los Angeles and, uh, and Broadway that it was, um, you know, part of what was so devastating about it. I think the only thing that um, I wanted to do was be journalistic about it and be um, factual about it and be um, honest about what was going on. Because I think the worst thing you can do is try to avoid it or shroud it in um, sugar, uh, you know, and, and just say, well, yeah, over here in the corner, something was happening. But I, I think you have to shine a light on it because it was a reality in Howard's life. And um, it's part of the reason we made it as an independent documentary. We started the process without going to a studio and without going looking for funding or anything. We just started making the movie. Uh, later, we were lucky that Disney signed on to it. And that's that's really because of Bob Iger. He um, saw the movie when it was in progress and said, you know, this is very much about not only our culture and our heritage creatively, but the LGBTQ community is a big part of our audience. And we, as a as a storytelling movie studio, want to make studios about and for our audience. Um, and it's just a reality of of uh, of life. And and so there's some there's some subjects in the film in terms of the AIDS crisis that are uh, that are tough to deal with for sure. But uh, 
it had to be told because that's what Howard had to deal with. How do you tell his life without going to that point and saying, it, it, you know, it would be now going through the the COVID-19 crisis and not talking about that openly because it's a very real uh, impact to the story. Um, so we just tried to be honest about it. The the one thing we did, though, is just really unconventional, and we haven't talked about this to anybody, so uh, we might as well tell you, is we, we test screened the film on the Disney cruise ship. And Lori, you can take it from there. Uh, we, we were looking for a place to test it out in, in that was safe and away from the internet. Well, it was a mem a Disney, in fairness, it was a Disney cruise, mem um, a member cruise. So uh, we knew we'd have an audience um, that would be honest with us. And uh, yeah, Don and Steven took the, um, took the film um, for a week on Disney cruise and, you know, screened it a couple times to get an audience reaction. And you could kind of, you know, whenever you see an audience, you know when you've lost them or if they're engaged or if they think something's funny or not funny when it should be funny. And that gives us a huge amount of information in terms of what's working and what isn't. So you bring you know, bring the film back to the drawing board, if you will, and start editing out the things that clearly aren't working or need to be plussed. And um, and areas that um, are working, you leave alone and um and we we were fortunate enough that yes we probably were for the first time ever our our preview audience was on a cruise ship which is a captive audience but it was really really um, helpful for us and made the film that much yeah. better. Where were they going to go? I, you know they couldn't go overboard. So um, a lot. And they could throw you or Stephen overboard. So that was good. Yeah, they they could have thrown us overboard. That's true. But they were they were gentle. <laughs> No, it, 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 I think there's a funny thing. We always think of, um, in the back of our minds, the Disney audience. And we never have those conversations necessarily. We never did on making movies like Beauty and the Beast or whatever. Um, find out in the end, after doing this for 40 some odd years, is the Disney audience is tremendously um, open and willing to go with you and give you the good faith of an audience uh, if you're sincere uh, back to mm -hmm. them. And, and I... You know, I think of people like Joe Grant or Eric Larson that I worked with, and they were all about that. It's If you're authentic and sincere in your storytelling, the audience will go a long way with you. And uh, boy, Walt Disney's films were that way. They were tough. You know, they were killing Bambi's mother and everything else. So it's okay. I think in the context of a film, a 90-minute film, you can deal with some very difficult issues. Uh, and in this case, it has a very life-affirming and inspiring story behind it. The idea of persistence in the face of these great challenges is a wonderful human story to tell. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I've seen The Little Mermaid, and I think that's the Disney film that made the most impact on me as a kid. And so when I was when we were watching the film, at some point, I can't remember when, but the, the beginning opening music of The Little Mermaid played, and like I started to tear up. I'm like, what? What is going on? I'm like, what? Why? And then you know, just thinking about it, you know, after the film ended, I'm like, this music was was created by somebody who was so passionate about telling a story, and and really touching people. And and, and that's what Disney films do. I totally agree with you, Don and Lori, about that because it it really it's a it's a place in your heart that that stays there and sometimes you don't know it's going to come out and make you cry again but w what a what a ripple effect he had right because yeah in a way <laughs> where would i be without little mermaid like that is the thing that really 
set me on Disney. Um, so you're welcome for that, everybody. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting. Like, he impacted our lives, our personal lives, in a way that my mom didn't know until last night. It, it really, it, it, was, it was just very beautiful. And I, I think so many people are going to react very strongly to it in the best way possible. Well, thanks, Tammy. That means a lot to us. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I, I just can't wait. I'm so excited to hear what a lot of, of, of other people are going to say. Um, and, and thank you guys for letting me take a look at it a little bit early. My mom thanks you, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> and as long as you don't mind me interjecting, I was allowed one question. And Don nowhere, knows where I'm going with this. I'm sorry, Don, I have to. Um, but, Lori, oh, I just found good. out you worked on this film too it's another one of my favorite disney films atlantis the lost empire so uh, w- w- can you just tell me a little bit about like my one question was just going to be Lori, what was it like working on that film with don awesome <laughs> that film, that film that crew on that film was truly probably one of one of if not the greatest crew i've ever worked with everybody from Dawn all the way down. And that starts with the top and that's the environment Dawn created along with Kirk and Gary. And there was such a passion and love for that movie and um, for, uh, from the crew and each and every one of us, there's, it just is, it makes me smile anytime I think about that movie because I loved it so much. Kind of a cult movie now and in, uh, in, in no small, small part, thanks to you, Tammy, but there's so many, you know, tens of thousands of, followers and especially with disney plus out now people are watching it multiple times and it's um it's really gratifying and and people are seeing things that you know we probably have forgotten about by now but um i love that movie and as laurie said it was one of the best kind of um experiences that we had um while we were making some of those films i hope you don't mind me telling this really quick story don and i were at d23 a couple years ago and we were walking it was honestly my first time well maybe my second time and we were walking the floor towards something and all of a sudden coming towards us was the entire Atlantis crew, <laughs> the people dressed in complete cosplay and there's Milo and Kita and, and you know, everyone was just coming at us and it was just so surreal of like, wait a minute, there they are in real life. It was fantastic. Tell me you took a picture of Don with them, please. <laughs> I, I do. I'll have to send it to you. I do have a picture because oh I went God. over and, uh, you know, they don't know who I am. I just said, hi, you don't know me, but I produced the film and I was really a huge fan of the way you guys look. And they the girl awesome. that was dressed up like Kita started crying. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I felt like Gandhi for a second. But um, it, it was it was so great. So, uh, so much fun. It was great. Mrs. Packard. I mean, they were all there. It was just, it was fantastic. I can't believe it's going to be 20 years next year. And hopefully maybe when everything kind of calms down, maybe it might have like a proper uh, reunion for you guys. And I, I thank you guys so much for being on the show today. This has been so much fun. And I am I, I really best of luck with everything. I know it's going to turn out fine. Um, but I, I'm just so excited for you guys to, especially for our listeners, please, again, tune into Howard on Disney Plus. And what a wonderful man he was. I, I really, I, I, I'm so sad I will never get a chance to meet him. But in a way, like Lori, you and I, we kind of meet him through his own stories. And yeah. that's where that magic happens within your, your film. So thank you guys so much. You're very welcome. Uh, thank, thank you, Tammy. 
my way to Disneyland. 